Are you immersed in a sea of business advice and education, but not sure what to embark on first? Instead of adding to the ocean of information, we're here to help you navigate it like a pro. The Wayfinding Growth Podcast will help you take a deep dive into new actionable strategies, tools, and tactics to help you grow. So start charting a course for business growth as you explore a better way to grow further, faster, with your hosts, Remington Begg and George B. Thomas. And what is up, Wayfinders? I'm super excited to be back because it feels like it's been a while even though it hasn't been that long but the journeys sometimes they get rough remington beg how are you doing today i'm doing good we're back in the wayfinding growth saddle so this is gonna be a lot of good fun oh man now we've got rodeo references and ship references all <laughs> in the same show i don't know what to do with myself i really don't know what to do with myself because today i'm super excited we have whew, a topic that is near and dear to my heart as well as many people who i hang out with online and that is generating leads from the stage for your business so this may be a selfish uh, episode that we're having i don't know but i'm glad to dig into this the other reason that i'm super excited is because we have none other other, the man, the myth, the legend, the might I say bald god of the internet, the one and only Mitch Joel. Mitch, how are you doing today, brother? I'm good. Thank you for that um, ridiculous introduction. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mitch, you know, we like to have our guests feel like they're welcome and we'd like to be family by the time we're done. So, Mitch, why don't you go ahead and for all of those wayfinders out there that might not know who you are, just kind of give like, hey, who, here's who I am. Here's what I do. And then go into a little bit of your backstory of and it could be from birth. I don't know if you want to go that far back, but backstory of kind of where you were, where you were trying to get to and maybe even a little bit of where you're at now. Uh, my name is Mitch Joel. I'm the president now of a co- very small company, myself and uh, one of my older business partners uh, called the Six Pixels Group. And right now we're in the midst of getting uh, neck deep into a tech platform startup that I'm sort of not 100% comfortable talking about just yet. Uh, and in between that too, we do a lot of investing and in advising. And as a, a sort of culmination of where I've come, I do a ton of public speaking too. So I'll do like 40 to 50 speaking events per year. Going back, I think the journey sort of is, is a bit clearer when you hear where I got to where I was, which is in about 2000, I helped launch and, and relaunch a digital marketing agency that was called at the time Twist Image. I live in Montreal and we became one of the largest uh, independent digital agencies up here in Canada, North America. And going back about four years, we were acquired by WPP, which is the, one of the largest holding companies in the marketing communications space. At that point, we took a bunch of other shops that had done a similar transaction to us and we all came together and created an agency called Mirum. M-I-R-U-M, which is still in existence, and that agency became 3,000 people in 20-plus countries. I think the reason why you know you and I are excited to talk about this, this conver- have this conversation or this topic is because early days of blogging, so figure 2003, 2004, I started blogging. I still do to this day. Basically, I write almost every single day. Uh, I then started a podcast in about 2004, which I still do to this day, so 650-plus episodes later. Mm. Um and part of that journey was people were saying, hey, why don't you come and talk to us about how you built uh, this sort of amazing little publishing thing called Six Pixels of Separation. And the truth about it was it was generating revenue because I was being asked to speak and being paid to speak. But the real truth is, is that I wasn't taking that revenue. I was driving that revenue back into the business 
as a way to use it for business development. I was a super um, unsure salesperson. I was a salesperson by default, and I had a background in journalism and publishing. And I just thought I would be better off getting up on stage evangelizing the greater good of the industry of where things are going in digital and social and mobile and all that sort of tech stuff. And then taking that and from the side of the stage or from wherever it is, have someone go, hey, like, that's interesting. Who can help me with that? Oh, guess what? Gee, we can, we can do that. Mm. And so when we talk about how we scaled the business and how we grew it to get acquired by one of the biggest players in the industry, a lot of it, besides the, obviously the great team we had and the work and the clients that we were working with, a lot of the business development of it was driven by this sort of platform that we had that we called Six Pixels, which was basically – you know, the blog, the podcast, the speaking. I wrote two books. One's called Six Pixels of Separation. One's called Control-Alt-Delete. And that sort of thought leadership slash speaking to generate bigger and better clients for the business. And so now it's really fresh. It's as of July that I've stepped out of the agency. And that's since, you know, 2002. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's been like 16 plus years of my life. So I'm super excited about the next step but I've been continuing on with the speaking because it just seems to be something I enjoy doing. And it does tend to be an amazing tool to generate business development and just great networking. As we're talking about this journey, obviously at agency life, you're getting paid to speak. How do you make a living now? Yeah. I mean, so, you know, one is I, I've been very, very fortunate that I've been, that I was able to sell the business and had a really good run with this business for the decade plus that we didn't sell it. Um, so that's, you know, just been an amazing very fortunate component of my life. Uh, we do, like I said, a lot of investing, and that's been really, really good for us. Still a ton of speaking, and just content and media has been the sort of way we're doing it now. And I'm going to go again with this new startup, so that's the way I make my living now. Sweet. I love it. I love it. It's funny because my question – well, first of all, let's reverse. You mentioned books and podcasts, and um, Control-Alt-Delete is like the book I feel like that keeps on giving. It's like the one that everybody goes to. It's – it's almost like part of your body, your flesh at this point. When I think of Mitch Joy, you think of that book. Are there other waypoints or times in personal or professional that you think molded you kind of into who you are and the way you think about the world? Oh, man. I mean, it. yeah, I mean, I, I, I've documented them in, in some of the books and then also in podcasts and conversations. It, there, it's a never-ending River, staying with the water theme. Um, <laughs> see what I did there? Yeah. Um, but it, look, if I go back, I, I remember being in grade nine or ten in high school and having uh, the art teacher. And art in in high school for us was like, put your head down. That's like it's like having recess. And I just remember the art teacher saying to me, you know, you seem to be really creative. You should try and do work professionally that's that has a creative. And I had no idea what she was talking about. Like, I just didn't even know what that was. And it was a really sort of amazing conversation I had with her, not to become a painter or an artist, but working in the creative space in terms of writing, in terms of thinking like that. So that sent me on one major journey. Um, I can tell you that, you know, at the age of 17, I sort of led a bit of an almost famous lifestyle where I was writing for rock music magazines and traveling all over the world and interviewing all these people and publishing my own music magazines. That was a huge 
part of the entrepreneurial journey because I was writing for somebody and the next thing I knew I was publishing my own magazines and it went from writing because I love this music and I love these artists to finding a printer, finding people who could do computer and desktop publishing, finding photographers and we did it in different languages and translators and distribution channels and advertisers and so that was a major sort of like this is what the world of business looks like. Um, I've I just had so many. If I if I think about just meeting, you know, at Miram slash Twist Image, we were four business partners. I think about just meeting the first two guys who had started this business, who were younger than I was, and then meeting and bringing in the fourth guy who was a bit older and had done this before, and just how that relationship over the years has been so profound. Seeing blogging and realizing that, gee, I don't need an editor's permission to be published anymore. This is the greatest thing in the world. Uh, being approached to speak, like you want me to speak about, like I was sort of like about what, you know, like I, and then seeing that becoming like a skill set that not only I had to learn and work on, and I do that to this day, but something that I was really passionate about. Uh, there's just, I feel as somebody who sort of has a bit of that journalism thing in him that sort of knows for news. That there's always these stories, at least for me in my life, that are like really sort of massive. They're not sort of like few and far between, if you know what I mean. Like they seem to happen, you know, quite frequently. Now, Remington, I know you're jumping into the new section, but I have to give one of my milestones or waypoints that is Mitch Joel related. Uh, believe it or not, I got a guided tour of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland, Ohio from Mitch himself, which I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm bringing that back because the love of music and bands and like just the knowledge that you had around that. It was actually one of those times where I walked away from content marketing world going, I don't even care that I like was at the event. Like I walked around the Rock and Roll <laughs> we Hall there. of Fame with Mitch Joel. It was amazing. It was amazing. It was fun. So, yeah. so Remington, go ahead and dive in, brother. Yeah. yeah. So now we're going to kind of dig deeper into the topic of you know generating leads from the stage. So from a strategic point of view, um, how should a company or an individual maybe that owns a company like start to thinking about getting started with that? Yeah, I mean the first sort of way to think about it, which may be tough for you too, and maybe some of your listeners, is I'm Canadian. And Canadians are really different from Americans in terms of the overtness of like, buy from me or like open this or do that. And so everything that we talk about, take it from the perspective of I'm very Canadian. So my way of selling from the stage is to never talk about myself. It is to have it completely unbranded. It is to never mention the products or services that my business sells, any client work we've worked with, any case studies, none of that, zero. I look at it like, let me go out there and give you complete value and knowledge and information about this industry, about this space that I occupy 365 days a year, seven days a week, almost 24 hours a day. I'm an infovore. I'm just consuming, consuming, consuming. I'm building out slides. I'm, I'm, I'm having podcasts. I'm, I'm writing articles. I'm publishing. I'm doing all this stuff. Let me distill this down for you. Let me help you decode what's happening in the future and this sort of now and help you be really confident in the audience so that when you are like, hey, I need to do this, hopefully they'll call you know, Mitch Joel and at the time Twist Image or at the time Miram. And so right. the strategy was really done um, very specifically like that because the problem that I faced, and I think the problem some of your listeners or viewers might face, is that 
if they know you're an agency guy or if they know you're talking about you and your work, the immediate instinct is he's going to try and sell. He's going to try and talk to us about what he does so great. Or the natural instinct is we already have an agency. We already have that product, that service. So we, we could just have the present of that business come in. Why do we need him? So it was really important to build the rapport by providing tremendous value. And the value came in two ways. One is an overbearing knowledge of the space that you occupy, where it's just the information, the stories, it's really dynamic, it's really engaging. And then two was, how do I make it always about who's in the audience? And always so that they're furiously taking notes or want to tweet it or talk about it or laugh or remember or walk down the halls and go, that was awesome, you know, high five. It's not a 100% conversion margin. You're not trying to get, especially at the, at the scale and size of the mandates we were working on. It really was a question of can you pick up a handful of leads and maybe one or two of those will convert into either a project or a bigger mandate. Mm. So I knew what I wanted to ask until you dropped that last line. Um, so now I'm going to almost cheat the system, Remington. I'm going to ask two questions and then let Mitch kind of play around with them. But so when you – the kind of, Mitch, the last line that you talked about where – so everybody talks about selling from the stage, right? And and one might hear this podcast that we're having right now and go, oh, generating business leads from the stage, a.k.a. I sell from the stage. We're, we're really not having that conversation because what I just heard from you was you're not selling from the stage. You're just being the best you that you can be. You're generating leads because the sales process happens after you leave, like you're gone. You're just trying to get some names that you can then get into some type of system, which I want to talk about that some, some type of system as we roll down through this uh, episode. But so maybe that wasn't a question. That was more of a statement. So no, I would but, 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 the, but I would say I, put, I, I would tell you something, George. The intent, I think, happens in their brain the second they show up at an event. You come to an event and spend time there, and you're sitting there for a day, a half day, a couple hours, and all you're really thinking subconsciously or overtly is, I need to leave here better, faster, better, or I need to impress my boss, or I need to grow my business. I, so you're, you're somewhat primed, and I think that's what a lot of people don't get is you're primed when you come in. The role that I have on stage is to just be as passionate and as expressive as, and as informative and, and providing a level of education so that everyone else seems like, oh, that's somebody I might want to work with. That's mm. the sort of goal I'm going for. I know they're coming in somewhat with the intent already there. I think the cycle happens, and that's why I like speaking so much. It's sort of like you, you are somewhat pitching right, to, to a massive audience. Instead of it being one-to-one, you're just doing it. At mass. And when I say pitching, what I mean is further priming them to want to have a conversation with you. The whole, the whole point of being on stage is to have them feel empowered, feel educated, and feel like I need to get to know that person more or find out more about what they do. Those are the sort of angles I'm always thinking about in when I create my content. Will they want to find out more? Will they want to connect with me? Yeah, it's interesting because when I hear you say that, I hear that it's totally not the time to sell your services, but it is totally the time to sell yourself because then they're going to want to be around you. And and with that, I go to my question that I knew that I wanted to ask about. You you said a word, which I don't even know if it's a real word, but an infovore, right? Like somebody who just <laughs> – made it up. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I love that word. But somebody who just is always learning. If you're going to be somebody who wants to try this strategy of generating business leads from the stage – 
Mitch, how important is it um, to be a person that has a mindset of always be learning? And do you have a method to your madness? And I guess what I'm asking is, is it important? And have you set up a, you know, I have designated times or designated ways to have that mentality to be uh, an infovore? Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, there's a total system at play here. I typically start off two-pronged. One is I have Google News Alerts set up for just all the areas that are of interest to me. So now, you know, the, the, the hot areas, smart, smart speakers. So like right away, like smart speakers, voice skill, like all that, those words I have Google News Alerts set up for. Once I'm tracking those and I see what's coming in, the ones that are usually good usually come from similar sources. If it's a good source, I then go over and usually there's a newsletter. I'll sign up for the newsletter. If it's really good, I'll pay for access to the content. So that's the sort of foundational stuff. As the stuff comes in and I like it, I use Pocket actually and I save it and I use tags. So I'll tag it by either what, you know, it's AI, it's machine learning, it's uh, social media. But then what I do is if it's something that really catches my attention, I usually tag it with the word slide and either at that moment or later at a later time, I will screen capture it and turn it right away into the slide. So what happens is I'm in a scenario now where I have about 20,000 slides, believe it or not. I mean, you never see that in a presentation, you'll see 40, but I just have access to all of that. Or if it's a specific area, someone's like, hey, can you speak more about analytics? I can go in and look at my tags and see which ones have analytics and slides. And then it's just a quick way to sort of work through it. I'm not just doing that for speaking, though. I'm curating like that and thinking like that because I'm creating a lot of content. I need to have conversations with a lot of people. I might be working on a third book. I might have this. I might have that. And so it's just that sort of curation system of that that keeps me sharp and fresh. So I know that people are like, oh, I'm having writer's block or I don't know what to write about. I'm like, well, I don't have a problem. I have pocket. You know, anytime I go in there, I just can see a ton of things. And listen, I'll even save stuff related to writing or podcasting or even the city I live in or an event or an individual that I'm following to see sort of where they are up to. When do they get mentioned in media? How does that work? So that's the structure that I use. And what happens is, which is a very natural thing, you never have a problem creating content. You never have a problem being informed if you're constantly in that cycle. And so when people talk about things like fake news or left versus right political stuff or this news outlet versus that news outlet, I'm somewhat – I'm baffled a little bit because I don't actually consume information that way. I consume it by topic and area of interest, not outlet. So like I mm. don't go to like a CNN or a Fox and look at the tech. I just never do that. It comes to me because I've set up the areas that I need to focus on, and there's so much of it that I don't have time to, to keep on the Infovore meme. I don't have time to forage. I, I just don't. I, I'm, I'm having enough – You know, I'm like Lucy in the Chocolate Factory. I'm trying to just keep up with all this stuff that's coming in, which I can't really. But I also know that the more I see that stuff in different newsletters and different alerts, it keeps coming back. So something where I'm like, oh, it's not that important, it keeps coming back where it grows in the news. I'm like, oh, wait a second. Like there's, there's something happening here. So it's almost like I'm micro-memeing a lot of ideas because I see the repetition by people that I've already established are recognized authorities in my sphere. That's sort of how I manage that, that thought process. 
I love Brilliant. it. Remington, I know you got a question. And by the but... way, I have to tell you something. I don't think I've ever shared that ever before until right now. Like I just don't, I'm just really, I think that's, yeah, that's how we do it. Well, I'll say two Brilliant. things. One, that's gold. Remington, I'm going to pass the baton over to you uh, here in a hot second. But I have a hashtag old man alert, and I can only say that because I'm an old man. And if you're sitting there wondering what Mitch Let's is talking Google about her, with yeah. Lucy – and the chocolate oh, factory. Oh, okay. Better talk about Google Alerts being uh, <laughs> you, an old No, man, no, but. no. You may want to Google I Love Lucy, which is like an old school show, and she's trying to eat the chocolates and pack the chocolates. She can't wrap them she, fast enough. She can't enough, wrap them so fast enough. Them and yeah. them in her pocket and stuff. It's, yeah. <laughs> anyway, Remington, yeah. go for it. So when we're talking about like how companies can start using and positioning themselves for like getting this stage, getting on the stage in order yeah. to kind of lead into this, because I think a lot of companies may not necessarily have, we'll say either talent or individuals willing to be on stage, maybe in the beginning. How do how do you see them starting to kind of open up to that idea? It's really, like, yeah, just, it's really tough, Remington. I don't recommend it, you know, because yeah. <laughs> if, you're, if you're not going to be good on stage and not going to be confident and it's going to come off like a shill or a pitch or this, audience is going to shut down. And I think there's also there's also different layers to look at here. Uh, one is when I'm being paid to speak through my talent agent. I have to be really, really careful that I'm not acting as the president of an agency. I think it's a part of my bio, but it's not why I'm there. I'm coming in as a third-party expert. Now, that may be very different than when I'm being asked to speak at, let's say, a content marketing world, where now I know these are sort of like little minnows in, in the ocean there, and I'm trying, or, or in the pond, and I'm trying to see if I can, you know, grab them and, and use them. So I'm, I might approach it differently. It's also very different when Miram, which was the agency I was at, calls me and they're like, "Hey." We're a sponsor of Gartner, and we have a morning keynote slot, and we want you to come in. I approach those all very differently. In fact, the Gartner one's an interesting and true story. And so what do you think is going to happen, right? Those are the morning-sponsored keynotes of the agency partners. It's like, is anyone going to show up? So most of the time what I was seeing was what do you, whatever you think it was. I'm going to bring in a client, and we're going to do like a keynote on a case study that we've done. And I was like, no, just let me do my keynote. Let me call it disrupting disruption. Let me go in and do my full thing because people will come in really expecting to be sold to with brochures and buttons and all that stuff. And I'm just going to do what I would normally do on a stage. And it killed. I mean, I was getting awesome. feedback from them where they were like, you're scoring higher than our analysts are scoring. And I'm, <laughs> my brain, I'm like, that's a good compliment. But you know, again, I'm a professional speaker. We did it on purpose. It, it was much more of a soft sell. If you don't have the, this, this speaks to, by the way, this is content. This goes to all the, if, if you're like, Hey, we should do video. You better have someone like George there to help you with video because otherwise it's not going to work. Like if you're forcing to write and we saw this with blogging, if you're forcing people to speak and they're, it won't work. The idea is Mm -hmm. to actually look at the network that you have and go, who does this well? And if the answer is nobody does this well, there are a ton of people who are open to being evangelists where you can literally call them, do a business deal with them. They will speak. They'll do like sort of their thing, their sort of generic industry thing. They'll toss in a little thing, how I'm a, uh, I'm a contributor to the so-and-so company. And at least it gives you credibility and value in the room. You have to always approach it from, is the audience going to really enjoy this? If it's something that comes off as very boring, bland, it, it's not going to work. I knew this episode was going to go left and right and up and down <laughs> and sideways. Because this is charting the course, Mitch. I'm a CEO inside of a company, 
And I'm curious, what do I need to have? What abilities do I have to be able to bring to the table to speak on stage to generate these leads? Or I'm a CEO in a room and I'm trying to look at my employees and I'm trying to figure out who could be in these walls um, raised up or created to be that in-house evangelist, much like you were for the agency. What are some things that you inherently think of when you think of a uh, great speaker, great communicator, um, great advocate for the brand? Like where does your mind go on that? Yeah, I don't know that I have a sort of this is the prototype of what makes someone very good. I think what I've learned after you know almost 15 years of doing this professionally is that some people have it and some don't. And I think what you can do is you can get really good from I'm here and I need to at least get to the place of competence. And there's a whole bunch of resources there. There's people like Nick Morgan. There's people like Heroic Public Speaking with Michael and Amy Port. I think if you're a leader and you don't feel you're really good at communicating, you need to figure out which one of those two and there are others can help you get a bit more comfortable in just delivering a message. I mean, this is stuff they should be teaching kids in elementary school. How do you get really comfortable and confident sharing an idea or a story amongst the group of your peers? If you as a CEO are like, look, I'm way too introverted to do this. I'm way too uncomfortable to do this. I need somebody else. I would even recommend more bringing in someone who is comfortable, who can then assess your team because you probably wouldn't even be able to do the assessment efficiently if you yourself don't have the basics of sort of understanding what makes someone a great communicator. I mean, the story of what makes someone a great communicator isn't just they have an it factor and they're a natural. It's their ability to take something very complex and be able to distill it to a group in an educational way. It's their ability to emote with the audience. It's their ability to connect with the audience. It's their ability to tell other stories that sort of add on to it and tackle it better. It's their ability to act, you know, really, can- really candidly. It's acting. I mean, you are getting up there and telling a story in a very uh, non-realistic way, or right? it's just someone on stage speaking to an audience. Um, it's your authenticity. It's what you can say, what you can't say. I mean, there's a million factors that work, but if you're sort of at ground zero thinking like, I, I don't know, the best place that you could go is to bring in an expert who does this for a living, is train actual executives or teams to communicate better. And that, that for me, at the top of that list really is people like Nick Morgan um, and, and Michael and Amy Port over at Heroic Public Speaking. I think they, and again, I don't have any 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 horse in those races. They're just amazing people. You can read their books and content for free. There's tons of stuff out there. So the next part we get to talk about tools and you dropped a couple a couple of them, Google Alerts <laughs> and Pockets. But when we talk about Pocket. like navigational tools and starting to kind of drive people in the way to start kind of keeping track and and maybe curating this content, are there any other tools that come to mind? Or do you want to expand a little bit further on, on how you use both of those? No, I mean, look, you know, post post that skill, which is sort of the side of the stage where you get a call or you get an email, my main weapon of choice is actually email. I mean, it, t- it tends to be the best way to sort of re-engage them. Hey, I appreciate meeting you. Here's here's a here's an article I wrote that's similar to that, or here's some here's a PDF of some speaking notes. Um, if it gets really really serious, there's CRM capabilities. You just got to sort of choose the weapon that you like there. That part really wasn't me at the agency side. It was sort of like that went into the system. I don't know what system they used. Could have been Salesforce. Could have been HubSpot. I don't even know. Um, 
but that's sort of the strategy. And it, it, what we did was very personal. I mean, the truth is I'm not looking for hundreds and hundreds of clients. I'm looking for a handful at best every year that can really take on the types of mandates we were executing on. And so to manage it was actually really, really easy. And that's why, like for me in general, email is great. I could set up reminders and alerts. I keep folders. I do a lot of folder work, especially because I, I know people be surprised here that I don't use Gmail, but I, I use Microsoft products. I always have. And just the ability to create folders. So I have clients, I have biz dev, I have active, I have non-active. And I just quickly in the morning can scroll through that left side of the screen and just go, okay, I've got to reach out to that person. Need this, need to do that. Again, I'm not managing hundreds of thousands of leads. If I were, it would be a very, very different story. You'd want to get a more sophisticated CRM at play. But my whole thing is always, I mean, you know, when I wrote Six Pixels of Separation, the book, it was really early days of social. And when I started talking about this stuff, my main thesis was I love this because it's about real interactions between real human beings. That digital is going to create that. Now, are we there as we sit here? It's tough to say. The world's changed quite a bit, and it's it's, it's really scary, especially when you look at stuff that's going on with Facebook right now. Right. But I still believe it. I still believe it in, in my heart. And so I still use the platforms and the technologies to create real interactions with real human beings. I, I don't want – I don't automate. I don't have the sort of follow-up email. The, the most that I do that is automated is I have a little tool that I love called Text Expander where – I'm constantly asked the same questions again and again. Um, can you speak? Uh, can I interview you? Um, how much do you charge for this? Uh, whatever. And I use this little tool called Texas Band that allows me to write that answer basically once. And then with a short key, I can sort of just fill it in. So if let's say you were coming on my podcast, um, you know, Remington, you would get an invite from me. And I just have a little thing where I type in Skype and it's basically all the rules for my show, like what I expect you to have, the type of gear I want you to have. So I don't have to ever repeat that stuff. And I have these types of sort of forms set up across the board. It's not really automation because I'm still personalizing it. It's for the person, but it just saves me a ton of time in terms of having to always, you know, someone asks, you know, where, where can I get a picture or a logo or where's this? I can just quickly, you know, fire off a little couple characters, and that fills in exactly what they need. So awesome. that, that those are some of the tools that I that I try to use. I'm I'm admittedly pretty um, pretty basic with this stuff. I wish I was more sophisticated and had this workflow where this comes in and it sends you the email sign up. And it, I always see that stuff, and I'm like, I gotta sit down and learn this. But I just <laughs> for, for me where I'm at, that real interaction between real human beings tends to work best for me. Yeah. So, so I want to dive a little bit deeper. I don't want to leave this quite yet because, and it's interesting. You said weapon of choice is email, and but I'm super curious, Mitch, from stage. Do you do things like because obviously you have to get the email or you have to deliver your email for them to use? Do you literally from stage say, "Hey, if you have questions, you can hit me up at you know x y z at mitchjoel dot com or whatever it was," or do you have like, "Hey, if you have more questions, go to this URL and download this thing," and that's how you get the email? Or yeah. like, or, or and and one last thing because I want to hear your thoughts on this, like. And I'm just going to say business cards and then let you roll with it. Okay. Well, let's do the other stuff first and remind me of business cards if I don't come back. Um, so, look, I think that the whole sort of text to get the slides or, you know, our friend Chris Penn has that uh, I want the slides.com. Like he actually has the domain. So people just go there. It's so smart. 
um, more added value. Like here, if you just send me an email, I'll send you my book by P. I love that. I typically don't do it. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I say it's not what I do. What I do to anchor their desire to get in touch with me is I make it a bit fun. So what I do is I typically have my hard close, and then I'll say, look, normally we go into Q&A, and we might do that or might not. It depends on if we are or not. Um, But I will say this. I know that it's a big room. I know that certain people are probably shy to get up and ask their question. They're not sure. They're on, on. So I'm going to leave you all of my contact information. I will call you. I will email you. I'll do whatever you want. Here it is. And then it, the screen switches, and it's just basically a Google search box. That usually gets a really big laugh, much bigger than the one I got here, um, right? Because it's funny. It's like here's all my contact information. It's just an empty Google box. Like Google me, you know. So I go, look, if you go there, you'll find like pictures of me, my family, all my. You can Google Maps where I live. So that gets a laugh, and then I switch it to actually my contact information. And usually that sort of hard stop, a bit of humor, a bit of lightness, it plays into the sort of tech thing that I have. It actually gives them time to really think. Like I should read. Like it gives them more time than here's my contact information. Good night. God bless. It just gives them more of a beat, and it also ends what is usually a hard thing. to Like it's very hard to end on Q&A because you know what happens in Q&A. People start wandering and telling you stories, and it actually I find Q&A really brings the room down. I've never left a Q&A and thought, wow, that was amazing, and what happens is I tend to then forget about how good the, um, the keynote was. So I prefer the sort of hard stop. Do the joke, give them the contact info, then let the organizer come back. We could do a Q&A or it can come back later in the day and do the Q&A. So that's sort of how I build a bit of tension and humor to get them to want to connect with me. It makes them seem familial, right? You can join, add me on LinkedIn, all that sort of stuff, and it, it's playful. It's not that sort of like, you know, add me to your list. I'm going to send you this. It's just more if you're interested, I'm available, I'm accessible is sort of the message that I send. Um, business cards it's a strange story. Like I actually really like business cards, but I don't really have them. So if someone has one, I'm happy to take them and I'll write a little note on the plane or in the car on the way to the airport what it was about. Did they want me to speak? Is it a potential client? Was it uh, a comment they had made or a question or whatever? And, and I try to get to those. I would say I try within 48 hours. I'm not great at it. Admittedly, I definitely fall down certain points in the year. Um, but I'm also like like I, I have some, I have them sometimes I don't really use them and especially now that I'm I, I try not to do meetings like that like we at that time I had a big team and even now it's like I, I, in this new life like I don't want to do meetings really so my whole thing is if you want to get in touch with me I'm really accessible if you just Google Mitch Joel I mean it pretty much is I'm the only one there's just it's all there for you and it's all let loose so I that's my stance and I like them I love the design of them I love graphic design. But carrying them around and, hey, can I have your card, it's it's not really the sort of setup I have. I'm going to throw another old man but, reference. But, but, oh, but, oh. but before we go, I'll tell you a great <laughs> business card story. It's one that just happened to me. I, I don't know if you guys know Clay Haber, but Clay is an amazing guy who helps people figure out what their positioning is. And what he did with his cards is he has the one card, which is his name and his information. And on the back, instead of it being the logo, he actually has his clients and the line that he did for them. And he's got like 50 different ones that he did with Moo cards. And so basically, like when you meet him, you want a card, he sort of like fans them out and you can choose one that may be like yours. And I just thought that that's like a really clever way where he uses his business card to actually demonstrate the product that he outputs or service he outputs. It's pretty amazing. 
Go ahead, George. Sorry. Mm, that's good. That's good. I'm going to throw another old – this is old man reference episode. We'll, we'll deem it from here on out. I love the the whole here's the Google search bar because it's almost like the old uh, say goodnight, Gracie. Goodnight, Gracie. Now that's going way old school. If anybody <laughs> knows that, tweet it out what show that is. You can win is. George's hat. Yeah, you can win my hat. No, no, they cannot win my hat. It's like one of a kind of <laughs> we'll another get a million there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we'll get you a hat. <laughs> All right, so this episode is brought to you by Impulse Creative Website and Marketing Audits. If you want to know that your website is doing the best it can, if you want to know you're maximizing your video efforts, if you want to make sure you're getting the most ROI in 2019, then hit us up. Because that's what we do. Remington, you're going back home here for a hot second. The Bermuda Triangle. So when we get into this as a company or as a as an individual, where do you think people get lost with this overall strategy? And you may have referenced this a couple yeah. of times a little bit earlier too. Well, I think the main thing is there's just this – especially – look, I was the entrepreneur. I was basically the boss. I could not be influenced to, hey, you know, can't you just dump in an example of the work that we do? Or, hey, can't you use the template of our company? Or, hey, can't you – and the answer is you can't. But my genuine feelings, being a journalist from a previous lifetime, is it does corrode it. And that once you start, it's a very, very slippery slope. It's the reason why Facebook basically sucked because every band could talk to everybody and they were just like, hey, like this if you like Wednesday. And then it all went to hell in a handbasket because they just had the channel. So I think the big thing is to always preserve and respect what it is what's happening up on stage what's the real value to it look if you're a hard sale from stage you're selling the back of the room which people do all the time they do it successfully and they're way wealthier than i am you need to sort of know what that is and what that looks like and the type of audience that wants it i think the easiest way to get lost is to start really trying to make it more about you and what you do and how great you are let them figure it out the brain is a magical power. If you're intelligent and you're cogent and you're telling good stories, they know. They're going to know how smart you are and they're going to want to work with you. That sort of overtness, again, I'm really Canadian here, I think can be a hindrance to providing the overall value that you're trying to give. I realized through this podcast I should have been born in Canada. Dang on it. Ge- no, no. Ge- geographically challenged because I'm buying all that you're selling. So, Mitch, here's here's a question, and I'm trying not to position this as a selfish question, but I know it's just going to come out that <laughs> way. Ahead. It's it's going to come it's out that way. You, it is. It is. It really is. This, this just creating content in general is therapy to my brain and my body. So, um, let's say you're the person who wants to either CEO or person inside a company, and you want to do this. You want to speak more. You want to become a thought leader, you want to be an infovore, you want to help people be better than they were when you found them uh, as they sat in the seats because they're going to be able to do business better. What what are the things that you feel are the potential pirates that are going to get in their way? What would you say to the guy who is starting out who wants to get there in this speaking, generating leads? Like, What's your advice yeah. to them? Well, the pirate is time. That's the real pirate here. The pirate is time in the sense of this is the long game, and this is, as you guys will soon see with Simon Sinek's new book, this is the infinite game. It's not a finite game. It's not three periods, 20 minutes each, and then it's over. 
business work is an infinite game. It's going to keep going and going. So you can't play it like it's a finite game, even though we have a sense of short-termism with public markets and things like that. I think time is the pirate. It's very easy to do it once, do it twice and go, didn't work, cut it out, versus realizing that to build a platform of thought leadership, a platform of speaking, a platform of content, it's not even months out. It's probably years out. And saying that out loud sounds crazy and sounds scary, but you know the content that at least I create or people who've created who've had real scale, it hasn't been one or two shots and then they hit gold. And even if they hit gold and have a viral thing, that viral thing in this day and age, it's just a couple hours and it does not make a business in this day and age. Like It just needs much more to that to sustain it and keep it going. And that's that's the pirate. It's it's having the ability to not have that short-term pirate come in and go, that didn't work, this doesn't work, this doesn't work, why are you still doing it? Um, you're, you're doing so many things when you create content, whether it's on stage or whether it's for a podcast. You are immediately promoting something. You are in the long term building an audience. You are also, as you bring on guests, building a network with other peers. You are at the same time expanding the knowledge of what your brand is into other markets, into other like there's so many angles to it. And it makes me crazy when people have something of value and they just sort of cut it out because it's just not working or it's not where they think. You look at a couple of hundred followers, be like, oh, it's not working. They have thousands. A couple of hundred people are interested in what you have to say. That's pretty amazing in a day and age where nobody cares about anything but themselves mostly, right? And the whole reason Facebook is a mess is because we all think everyone's looking at us when in reality we all know nobody cares about you and that if you don't publish today, the only person who cares is actually you. Now, if you can get 50 people, 100 people, 200, 1,000 to really care, that's actually to me massive. And I think we were messed up in this world of, you know, 33 million likes and followers and streams mm. and all this stuff and not focused enough. And it's a classic thing of, of, of quantity over quality. So build out, build quality to get to quality takes time. Don't let that pirate steal that time to get good at speaking. Ain't going to happen with just some coaching and a couple stages. It's going to take years. Go and watch all this stuff. Go and watch, you know, Springsteen on Broadway. Go and read Springsteen's biography. Go and read, go and watch Jerry Seinfeld's comedian documentary. Go and watch Seinfeld, the early days where he did this sort of story of his life. Like these people didn't become mass sensations because they had a couple jokes or a couple songs. This was decades of miserably hard work to push it forward. And that is actually what we're doing because when we create content and we're not just paying someone to create an ad, we are really telling types of stories. And for stories to connect and resonate, they need a lot of that sort of stuff underneath it. And that that pirate is for sure time, short time. So get rid of that pirate and just be in it for the long haul. Love it. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) There were like knowledge bombs left and right, like boom, boom, boom. Like the last couple minutes was ridiculous. So, Mitch, I have a question for you. We always have this section. I love this section. Whenever I do this section, Remington laughs. I don't know why he laughs. I just think Remington likes to laugh at me, but it's the captain. I am a little goofy, but it's the captain killing it section where we talk about somebody who is killing it at the topic at hand. So when you sit back, and I know you know a lot of people, a lot of speakers, a lot of people who are on stages and doing what we're talking about today when you sit back who do you feel is really killing it at 
and I'll just kind of quote what we've talked about. Subtle selling, uh, selling themselves, um, putting together a, a method where leads are coming in, going to the, the bigger business, uh, and generating revenue and, and just smashing it. Who, who would be this week's captain killing it? Yeah, it's fine. I didn't know that you were going to ask this question, so I didn't have much time to prep or think about it. But as you're saying it and the way you said it, the, the person that immediately came to my mind was Tom Webster, Tom Webster of Edison Research. Um, he is a very, very funny guy. doesn't always come out in his content, but I think he's done an amazing job of taking what is essentially a research firm that was known for their exit polls and some other stuff and really helping become a voice in this whole sort of smart speaker, smart interactive audio space. He's out there. He speaks a ton. He generates a lot of content. He generates a lot of media. And I know in turn that has brought the research firm incredible clients in the space. And I'm, I don't know if I'm speaking out of that, from what I know, it's like Pandora and Spotify and NPR and all the places that probably he would love to have his clients, they call him in for his expertise to explain these spaces. Podcasting is another one of them. And when I look at that, I think there's something to what he does because he's not doing the shill. He's not talking about Edison research. He tells amazing and dynamic stories. He finds very heartfelt videos and pieces of research that really you know, tear at the heart and get you thinking. And all of this from a research company, and he's not promoting that. He really isn't. It's a total value add to download the report later or connect to it. So I think he's doing a great job. We talked about Christopher S. Penn. I think he does an amazing job of just always being so helpful to people. And, and I mean, his brain is so huge that you know, he's one of those guys where I sort of watch him and I'm like, I need to spend like 20 hours a day with him and I still won't you know, be where I need mm-hmm. to be. So those two to me are, are really interesting. Um, Denise Leon would be another one. I'm giving you three who's just an amazingly passionate person about brands. And when you see the content, her content is so consistent across her books and her newsletter and, and the stage that you feel like if you want to understand brands, she's the de facto person to go to. So anyone who creates that sort of thing of like, I think about audio, I think about Tom, I think about brands, I think about Denise, I think about data and information, I think about you know Chris Penn, those are the people to me who are really killing it in a dynamic way. So it's unbelievable to see. Viewers, like I just, I just don't even know how to tell you how important this week's Captain Killing It is. Like there are so many times where Captain Killing It is like, yeah, that's cool. And everybody give that person a high five and applaud them for being amazing. Mitch just laid out a three-step or three-people or I'll, I'll say a journey that if you're sitting there and you're like, I want all of the things that we've talked about inside of this episode, you go online and you Google Tom Webster, Christopher Penn, Denise Leon, and you watch them on stage. You watch them communicate. You watch the systems that they use on the slides and take that and turn your it into your own thing. But those are three great, great examples. Remington, let's keep on trucking. Oh, yes. That's a vehicle so, reference. Now we got rodeo vehicle. Man, motoring. We're, we're, yeah, motoring. Anyway. <laughs> it's not even a word. It's just a Night Ranger song. See, I even knew that. Look at that. There you go. So, Mitch, thanks so much for being on on this, uh, on this episode with us. This has been fantastic. Um, got some really good sound bites in here. So can you take a second and tell people how they can reach out and communicate with you more effectively? 
Do I have to redo the whole Google joke thing? Yeah. I'll do it. I'll do it. Um, you can find me at MitchJoel.com, which is my sort of personal stuff. And even there, there's a link to SixPixels.com, which is all my content. But that's basically at MitchJoel and SixPixels.com. Very cool. Well, Wayfinders, I don't believe it. It seems like it went like that. There's so much information. I would just rewind right now and watch or listen again. Look, if you are listening to this on your favorite podcast app, leave that. Go over to iTunes and leave us a raving no, I'm just kidding. You might be listening on iTunes, but leave us a rating and review. We would love that. If you're watching on YouTube, hit the bells, the likes, the subscribes, all those things so we know that you're part of the community. And until next time, we hope to see you leave the dock of mediocrity and set sail to the sunset of your success.